You've probably heard it said there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes, that's the one. The irony is every year we spend too much time preparing for one of those, our tax return. But the irony is we so often spend little, if any time, preparing for the other one, for death and whatever might lie beyond it. What do you think happens when a person dies? Let let me just quickly canvas three common ideas floating around. Back in the days of Christopher Columbus, when people thought the world was flat, you just dropped off the edge if you went too far, um, a big sign in Lisbon Harbour read this, nothing more beyond. Many people think that's what it's like when we die, nothing more beyond. We just cease to exist. And our body returns to dust. Nothing more. Now the technical term for that view is annihilation. That's the end. Others say, no, no, we come back in another form. You know, if you've been good, you come back as someone even better or or something else altogether. But if you've been bad, you might come back as a slave or a slug or a cockroach or something worse. Now, this view, of course, is called reincarnation. Still others say, yeah, but our our spirit continues on. Death is more like a, a doorway. There is an afterlife of some kind. Now, at funerals, you might hear someone say something like, they're in a better place now. Oh, God's so lucky to have another angel up there. They're looking down at us from heaven or other words like that, intended to bring comfort to those who are grieving. But are they true? How can we be sure? After the school holidays, I always like to ask my scripture classes where they've been. Tasmania, Queensland, New Zealand, Bali, Dubai, on and on they go. I like hearing stories of places I've never been to myself. Imagine if we could hear from someone who's been to the other side of death and was able to come back and tell us the truth about it. Today's passage says Jesus is that person. He rose from the grave. He appeared to many people and he tells us the truth about resurrection about resurrection, the truth about life after death. Today I want to give you six reasons, six reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. As we do this, let's pause to pray. Loving Father, thank you that the Christian faith is not a blind leap in the dark. You created the human brain and its astonishing capacity. And you call us to use our brain to think clearly, wisely and humbly. Help us to do that right now as we consider together the resurrection of Jesus and the idea that there is life after death for us all. Amen. I want to begin with a definition. Sounds horribly boring, doesn't it? But it's important. What we're talking about here is not resuscitation. 
All right, that, well, that's what happens at the beach sometimes uh, or in an accident or in hospital where someone is basically dead, their vital organs have stopped, but one way or another, their body's kind of kick-started and they come back to life, back to, back to this life. They'll get to eat brekkie again. They'll get to go shopping again if your lady buys shoes again. Uh, if you're a bloke, stay away from the shop as much as possible, except for Bunnings, which is in a shop. It's just a good place to go and hang out. And you'll get to see friends, all kinds of things. And you'll grow old and then you'll die. That has happened many times through history. In fact, that's what Jesus did for several people. Lazarus was probably the most amazing. Four days he'd been dead. But he was snatched back from the grip of death. Yeah, and then, you know, he grew old, I guess, and died again. But what we're talking about here this morning is something radically different. Resurrection means passing through death, beyond death, and rising to a life that can never be touched by death again. Jesus often called it eternal life. The writer of Hebrews called it indestructible life. I just love saying that word. Indestructible life. Here today, every one of our lives is affected by by sin and the advance of death. I've got a really sore shoulder from shoveling mulch yesterday. Tons of the stuff. Aches and and pains and and signs of ageing. I think it's still brown. Who said it's not? <laughs> I'll talk to you after. <laughs> and you know, we're, we're all affected by, by sin, our own sin, the sin of others. But resurrection life is free from all that pain. Resurrection life is full life, complete life, complete wholeness and well-being in every way. And in every relationship that endures to resurrection life. Life with a capital L beyond death. That's what we're considering here. So let me give you six reasons. Uh, There's a lot more than six, but let me just give you six reasons to believe in resurrection life. The first reason is that Jesus actually taught about it before he died. Here's what he said in Mark chapter 8.31. If you take notes, Mark 8.31. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. (laughs) Now, if I said that, I mean, let's be honest, you'd think he's completely lost the plot. He's a lunatic or something worse. And some people say that about Jesus too, but that kind of description doesn't match up with the quality of his teaching and the character of his life. And then when his arrest, his trial, his suffering and his death played out exactly how he predicted it, that strongly suggests that he was right about the last piece of the picture too that he did, in fact, rise again. 
Now, Jesus alluded to his resurrection in several ways. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, he talks about this sign of Jonah, uh, a claim that he would rise from death on the third day, just like Jonah, who was, well, metaphorically dead in the belly of a whale, um, came back after three days. Another time, his disciples were looking at the magnificent stones in the temple. 46 years it took to build that one. In Matthew 6, and then Jesus kind of just changes uh, the, the understanding completely. He says um, that his enemies would destroy the temple of his body and he would build it up again in three days. He claimed to be a king, not just any king, but the promised Messiah king who would rule forever. Now, to achieve that grand ambition, you have to defeat death first. On top of Jesus' own claims about resurrection, I find this really fascinating. On top of Jesus' own claims about resurrection, his accusers at the trial knew that this was part of Jesus' claim, part of his plan. In Matthew 27, verse 63, his accusers say to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was alive, After three days I will rise. The claim was that broadly known, that obvious, that even his accusers knew what Jesus had said. Resurrection, resurrection was clearly and always on Jesus' agenda. He spoke about it before it happened. That's our first reason to believe. Number two, our second reason is this. The tomb was empty on the third day. How do you explain that? Luke 24 verse 3 says, When they went into the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And Matthew 28 verse 13 records how the enemies of Jesus confirmed it by claiming that the disciples had come and stolen the body. Well, the dead body of Jesus could not be found. How can we possibly account for this? This was a very public and politically charged execution. How could the body just disappear? What are the options? Well, perhaps they're looking in the wrong tomb. Simple solution, go find the right one. (laughs) Produce the body, end of conspiracy. Besides, it was a public execution and the burial was public as well. They had seen where Jesus' body was laid. They knew where to look. It just wasn't there. Another suggestion is that his enemies stole the body now by the way there's no historical record of this idea it's just an idea that someone's come up with but it makes no sense because if they did they could easily just produce the body to stop the rapid spread of the christian faith in the very city where the the crucifixion occurred but they couldn't produce the body another uh well-known uh explanation is that his friends stole the body. That was the one that Pilate suggested to the guards. This was uh, the rumour that the guards were in fact paid to tell. So it was the chief priest. Uh, But is it likely that Jesus 
disciples could have come and stolen the body? Could they have really overpowered the guards at the tomb? The little bit of the disciples that we saw in the reading that we just heard was they were terrified and hiding in a room together with locked doors. More important, if they had stolen the body, would they have gone and begun to preach with such personal conviction that Jesus was in fact raised to life, knowing that he wasn't really raised to life? Would they have risked their lives and accepted beatings and faced execution for something they knew wasn't true? I don't think so. Another idea that used to have some airplay is that Jesus was not quite dead, only unconscious, and they laid him in the tomb. Then he kind of woke up, brushed himself off, Roman execution, mind you, removed the stone, overcame the soldiers that were guarding the entrance, and then vanished from history. Oh, after a few meetings with some of his disciples, uh, in which he convinced them that he really was risen from the dead. I find it interesting that even Jesus' enemies didn't try that story. The Romans, they were professional executioners. They knew he was dead. The last possibility, one that I think is most believable, is resurrection. That God raised Jesus from the dead. This is what he said would happen. This is what the disciples said did happen. But like Thomas in our reading today, we all want proof, don't we? In verse 25, if you've still got it open there, in verse 25 he says, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were. Shows you how big that that nail was. Unless I put my hand into his side where that, that spear was thrust up, all his lifeblood flowed out. Lest I do that, I will not believe. I will not believe. It sounds so defiant, doesn't it? And yet, it's also wonderfully honest. People have all kinds of reasons for not believing that Jesus rose from the grave. We don't want to be gullible, do we? But neither should we reject the truth just because it's outside our normal experience. Or how else could we explain the empty tomb? The third reason to believe is, I think, a very powerful one. And it is simply the transformation of the disciples. Look at today's passage. In verse 19, they're terrified and locked in a room together for fear of the uh, authorities. And then Jesus appears, appears to them. And after seeing Jesus, they are full of joy, verse 20. They tell Thomas as soon as they see him, verse 25. 
And in the days and weeks and years that follow, they boldly tell the world about him. Even in the face of great opposition, persecution and death. How can we explain this radical change? Now, some people say, oh, they they must have seen some hallucination of Jesus. But, you know, the consistency of their witness, all the various people, the clarity of what they told, and just their outstanding boldness and courage of their witness points strongly to another conclusion, that they actually saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people say that, well, people back then were gullible. You know, they'd just believe anything, wouldn't they? But the truth is, they were just as sceptical as we are now, perhaps more so. Especially Jesus' own siblings. John tells us that uh, even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. Now, I suspect they were pretty annoyed because their big brother was always in the headlines. <laughs> but after the resurrection, one of Jesus' brothers called James was so convinced that he'd seen Jesus alive that he spent the rest of his life telling other people that his big brother rose from the grave and gives eternal life, resurrection life, to anyone who puts their trust in him. Now, that's evidence. I've got a big brother. I know what it would take for me to say something like that about him. I think that's phenomenal evidence. The fourth reason to believe is this, that even some of Jesus' enemies were profoundly and thoroughly converted. A Pharisee called Paul went from killer to Christian from church destroyer to church planter, from persecutor to persecuted. Even his name changed from Saul to Paul. What's more, he wrote about the resurrection in many of his letters, half the New Testament written by him. And the resurrection, it's central to his message. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, says, 1 Corinthians 15, go home and read it. The whole chapter is about the resurrection. It's a long chapter, but it's a wonderful chapter. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, he claimed that not only had he seen the risen Jesus, but that 500 others had also seen the risen Jesus. And he adds this, many of whom are still alive. Now, now if you're writing into a sceptical audience, you don't say that many of those other witnesses are still alive. Because what can they do? Well, a sceptical audience could easily squash that claim with a little bit of research and a few interviews. But they never got their evidence against the resurrection. How are we going? Do we need a bit of a stretch or anything yet? We're getting there. The fact that against the odds, within a short space of time, there was a thriving, empire-conquering Christian church supports the truth of the resurrection claim. This is the fifth reason, by the way, if you're taking notes. It's the fifth one. In Acts chapter 5, a highly respected Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel 
said this as the, the church is beginning to grow and flourish. Men of Israel, he's talking to the, the leaders of <coughs> the Jewish leaders. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men that arrested uh, James and John. And then, uh, you know, I won't read it all, it's quite long. Uh, he lists a few uprisings that have happened historically and then fizzled as soon as the leader was killed. And then he comes to his conclusion, he says this. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And what happened? What happened? The church spread on the power of the gospel message, that simple gospel message that Jesus died and was raised again and now offers resurrection life to all who trust in him. That's the simple message. And this is the message that spread all over the Roman Empire and to the, to the known world at the time and, of course, now to the, the world. It's power to cross cultures and to create one new people of God is a strong testimony to its truth. For my sixth reason, and I could go on, there's other reasons as well, but I'm going to stop at six. Phew, they all say. Um, for my sixth reason, I want to be a bit more personal. And I want to return to the passage today. John chapter 20 uh, in verse 29, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. For the last 2,000 years, countless people have been blessed by God for believing even without seeing. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I have experienced God's blessing in all kinds of ways. But above all, the resurrection gives me a deep and enduring peace. Regardless of my circumstances, which are all over the place. Different times. I no longer fear death. Jesus gives me the certain hope of everlasting life. And God's Spirit confirms that it's true in my heart. And I know there's many, many of you here today can testify to that same radical change of heart and mind. We can face death with confidence, not in who we are, but in who Jesus is. Not in what we've done, but in what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. One of my favourite Bible verses was written by another Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. Many years after the resurrection, he wrote these words to encourage believers who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of severe persecution. He said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Friends, they're wonderful words, aren't they? Remember that sign in Lisbon Harbour, nothing more beyond? The day came when, when Columbus returned from America. And so they changed the sign by removing the first word. Now it simply read, more beyond. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus is like that. He's been over the edge and come back. So he's uniquely qualified to say that there's more beyond. The question now is, are we personally prepared? Because like our taxes, death will catch up with us sooner or later. Friends, as I close, I want to note the important difference between reasons to believe and implications. Some people do not believe because they still have doubts. They have important questions that have not been resolved in their minds. Perhaps that's you today. Can I encourage you? Keep seeking. Keep knocking on that door of understanding. Others, however, do not believe because of the implications of belief. They're satisfied with the evidence of the resurrection. There's no major doubts in their mind. They, they simply don't want to believe. That's because they know that if they believe, it means surrendering their life to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It means taking sin seriously and turning from it, including sins that they might presently enjoy. It means taking up their cross daily and following their Saviour. Such a person has their eyes on the personal cost of following Jesus rather than the personal cost Jesus gave to save them for eternity. If that's you this morning, please be honest with yourself and understand the gravity of your rejection of Jesus as your rightful Lord and only Saviour. In verse 27 of today's passage, Jesus confronted Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. It's not one or the other. It's both. Let's pray. Dear Father, please forgive us all for the ways we doubt you and by our actions show we don't fully trust you. That must cut you to the heart. But thank you, thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to show us your love by his life, by his death, and to validate everything he said and taught and promised by his resurrection from the dead.
Thank you for the very real hope this gives us in life now and for life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.